0: Thanks, Mary Thomas. Well, good morning again. Uh, if you've been with us, we have been working our way through the Psalms of Ascent, which are these uh, this great little slice of the psalm, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. These were songs that the people of Israel sang as they made their way a few times a year every year up to the elevated city of Jerusalem, and so they would ascend up to, the, up to Mount Zion, up to Jerusalem, and they would sing these songs as a way to fortify themselves for their journey. And as we get closer to the end, which is next week, we're getting closer and closer to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, until ultimately next week when we get to Psalm 134, the, the sojourners will be speaking to the servants of the house of the Lord. And what I think is so great about these psalms, especially as they are preparing us for this kind of destination point, is it prepares them and it prepares us for what to expect. What should we expect? What did the, what did the Old Testament people of Israel expect to find when they, may, when they got to Jerusalem? And here's one, one answer to that question. They expected to find family. They expected to find family. Uh, People were coming from all over, you know, different corners of the region. They spoke different, had different accents, had different cultural expressions, and yet they all came together and they unified together around the worship of God. That's, in some ways, what Psalm 133 is about, this this. Beautiful, uh, unified family that they experienced. It's a window to understand what what a community of faith is supposed to look like. And for those of us here that are pursuing a Christian community, it's helpful for us as well because it does give us a window into what Christian community looks like, or at least should look like. And so I want to see, I want you to see three aspects, three features of what a Christian community is, based off of this psalm. We're going to see that a Christian community is unnatural. It's wonderful, and it's possible. It's unnatural, it's wonderful, and it's possible. I told my wife that uh, th- that was my outline for today. I told her that yesterday, and she was like, that sounds like an infomercial. Like, it's possible with just three easy payments of <laughs> 19 So let's talk about it, though. Uh, uh, you know, All things you know, infomercial withstanding, um, let's start with the fact that a Christian community is unnatural. Look at how it begins. Verse 1, it says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Again, there's that family language. He's using this family language of when brothers dwell together in unity. It's this amazing thing. It's good and pleasant. It's wonderful, which we'll talk about here in a second. But it's easy to just skip over that first word, behold. It's a very important Hebrew word that really just means, whoa, look at that. It's this invitation to look at something because it's so weird. It's so uncommon. Earlier this summer, my wife and my kids, all of us, we were in Colorado for RYM. Some of y'all were there with us. And uh, one day, we took the day and we drove through the Rocky Mountain National Park. Beautiful, breathtaking, gorgeous, incredible. And uh, you can take this, this driving trail all the way up to one of the highest points, which is the Alpine Visitor Center. Which you can buy a bunch of overpriced Colorado swag in, and so we drove up there and spent a lot of money to buy some Colorado shirts. And then on the way back down, as we're coming kind of in through the valley, we, we drive by. There's a bunch of cars that are lining the side of the road, and a bunch of people out of their cars looking at something in the in the grass. And we're we're we're, we're slowing down, and we're trying to see what is everybody else seeing. And I can't remember who was the first person in our car to see what everyone else was looking at, but they saw a mother moose, and it's the baby calf, which is the, t- I looked it up, that's the technical way that you describe a, a, a a baby moose, a calf. And so whoever was that saw it first said, look, look, it's over there by the, it's over there by the tree, it's over there by the little creek. And so we, we pulled over off the side of the road and we joined this group of people to get a closer look at this thing, which was crazy. This is so uncommon for us to see moose, meese, mooses in our, in our current day and age. And so what were we doing? We were beholding and we were asking everyone else in the car, behold, look, this is so weird, it's so unbelievable, it's so uncommon. And so when the psalm begins like that, behold, it is the, it's the, the psalmist's way of saying, wow, look at that. People dwe- when people d- get, dwell together in unity, tight-knit like a family, that is really unnatural. It's really, that is not the norm. And you and I know what the norm is. The norm is fighting division, tension. In fact, if you just did a survey, a quick survey of the Bible of how brothers, even just how brothers relate to each other, you'll quickly see it's a disaster. If you go to the very beginning the book of Genesis, the very first siblings, Cain and Abel, how did the first sibling rivalry in the Bible end? Ended in murder, that's, the first, that's how the first sibling rivalry ends. And then you go just a few chapters later, and then the next pair of brothers, you have Jacob and Esau. And Jacob hoodwinks his brother Esau out of his own inheritance. And so Esau forms an army, essentially, and chases him down to try to murder him. And then you get a few chapters later, and Joseph and all of his brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt. And then they report back to their dad that he'd been killed by an animal. We're not even out of the first book of the Bible yet. You've got 65 more books of that to go. And it just shows you human history is stained with fighting, division, friction, tension, division. In fact, think about our cultural moment right now. We, we We have, it's hard to imagine a time where we have been more polarized, more partisan, more tribal than we are currently. I mean, you've got Democrats and Republicans smashing heads. You've got conservatives and progressives and the rich and the poor and white and black. And and you've got maskers and anti-maskers and vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. And you've got some people trying to fight over the office or parks and rec, which one's the right way. Everyone's trying to, we're fighting over everything. And so when you see a group of people that is not doing that, people that are unified, relating to each other like family. It's this invitation to behold. It's just weird. It's unnatural. You don't see it every day. The um, the most read online article in the year 2016 was an article written by a man named Alain de Baton called You Always Marry the Wrong Person. It's an amazing article. It's really about marriage. And what he's doing is he's, he's trying to... Um, blow up our expectations of what we think romance is and what we think love is. Most people go into relationships assuming that love is going to be easy. It's going to be intuitive. Even the way we talk about love, it's just, it's something that happens to you. You fall in love. It's as easy as falling into a ditch. It just happens to you. And he argues, and I think he's right, that that's an unhelpful way to understand love. That's an unhelpful way to understand relationships. Rather, he says, love is a skill It's a skill that takes time and a lot of trial and error to figure out how to do it well, where it takes labor to figure out why is this person the way that they are, and how can I relate to them with compassion and with patience and with kindness. And my favorite sentence, my favorite quote from this whole article, uh, he says this, compatibility is an achievement of love. It cannot be its precondition. Compatibility, which which everybody thinks this is the precondition, this is how we decide whether or not we're gonna pursue a relationship. It's not the precondition, he says. It's an achievement. It's it's the result of laboring towards each other. That's how you get compatibility. Now, I bring all that up a, because that's really helpful marriage advice and just understandings of love and relationships in general, but you think about how that relates to a Christian community, how that relates to a church, it's the same way. It's it's it's, it's, it's super helpful because for, in, the, in the same sort of way, for whatever reason, people think that Christian community is supposed to be easy. That you walk into a room with a group of people, you kind of get embedded into this Network of of people, and you just assume. Well, these people are supposed to all be cool, and they're all supposed to remember my name, and pursue me, and care for me perfectly well, and they're all supposed to be in my stage of life, and they're supposed to get me. And if they don't, if there's tension, if there's awkwardness, if there's something that happens that I disagree with, I'm out. I'm out. And what I think is um, so helpful is Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together. He writes a book. He, he, he makes this point of untangling what we think of as the ideal and the real. Our idealistic understandings of community is just that. It's supposed to be easy. Everything's supposed to work out great. But he says, but the reality is, is that if you're in community with people, then it's by definition going to be challenging because they're people. And sometimes people can be annoying and hard to love. And that's what you got, it's one thing to it's one thing to dream about oh this perfect real or this perfect dream of what a community could be like but that's not what we actually have. In fact here's what he says. He says every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of it. You see, the, you see what he's saying? When you love your idea of what a community is supposed to be rather than the actual people in the community, then you end up destroying the very thing that you think that you're supposed to be loving. Here's why I think this is hard for us is because we live in America, and it is just part of our way of thinking to think about and interact with the world as American consumers. It's just hard to get outside of our consumeristic instincts because this is just what we live and breathe and do every single day. And it doesn't help that we're in the South and we're in Memphis, and so there's a million churches on, you know, everywhere. And so it's really easy in our particular context to customize your religious experience to say, well, I like this church's preaching, but I don't like their music. Or you go over here and you're like, oh, I like their worship, but their coffee is bad. Or you know, whatever. This is why... This is why we literally use the word church shopping. We think about it like a consumer does. Scott Sauls, who's an author, he's a pastor in Nashville at Christ Prez. I heard him once say, um, unless there are about 10 things that you don't like in your church, you haven't really started to do community yet. And what he means by that, he's not talking about forms of abuse. He's not talking about injustice. He's just talking about all the normal things that kind of annoy us. And he says, if you find a group of people that kind of annoy you, but you're willing to stick with them, you're cutting against the grain of American consumerism. You're doing something very unnatural. And then he goes on to say this. When you start to experience conflict with someone or something in the church, that doesn't represent the end of your community, but the beginning Quote, you haven't had community yet until someone has apologized and forgiven and we work together to move forward. Here's his point. Real community happens when there's an offense that occurs, when there's tension, when there's drama, when there's pain. And rather than just piecing out, rather than just gossiping, rather than throwing the other person under the bus, you move towards the person with kindness and with grace and with an instinct to listen The other person extends grace and kindness. You work together. You give redemptive feedback. That is so weird and unnatural because nobody, I mean, can you imagine if there's a community of people that's relating to each other like that, where that type of love and commitment to reconciliation is just baked into the DNA of the group, that would be the kind of thing where you would say, behold, that's unnatural. And yet that's what the Christian community is is to be, this unnatural community. So that's the first aspect. Behold, all of that from one word. Here's the second big idea. Christian community is not just unnatural, but it's wonderful. And David, who is the author of this psalm, gives us two images, two pictures to try to capture what is so amazing about a Christian community. The first image that he gives us is that a Christian community is like oil. It's like oil. You see that in verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, Aaron was the high priest, and whenever Aaron was ordained, uh, they, they would anoint his head with oil as a sign, a way of saying, like, the Holy Spirit is setting you apart to do this task. And I don't know if you noticed when it was read how much oil was actually used, where it's poured on his head, it's dripping through his beard, it's getting on the collar of his robe, and this is highlighted as like, it's awesome, and for us, we're like, that's gross. Can you imagine, you know, sometimes we go to a pizza joint, and you see in the back on the shelves, those like industrial-sized things of uh, olive oil, like the Costco-sized drum of I mean, picture that drained on someone's face, you're like, there's a little cultural uh, distance here between us and them. But here's what's fascinating. Not only is this image about the abundance of the oil, but notice it uses the word precious. It is costly oil. This is fragrant oil, like like perfume. In fact, some of you might be into essential oils, which, you know, that stuff is not cheap. It's like a hundred bucks for three drops. But if you can imagine a you know industrial sized drum of the most expensive fragrant oil that 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 there is and that thing gets you know untapped and that thing gets dumped out on Aaron now the room is flooded with fragrance It's like if the Aaron's ordination is this whole sensual, fragrant, potent experience where everybody experiences the smell of it, and that is what the psalmist is saying. That's what a Christian community that is unified together, it just gives off this intoxicating aroma. so fragrant. And here's what I think this means practically. Whenever you walk into a space where there's a group of people in it. You, you can intuit what that room feels like, what that group of people feels like. You walk into a classroom, you walk into a party, you walk into an office space, you walk into a church. It, it's not cognitive. It's almost like a spidey sense. You can just intuit the feel of what this group is like. Sometimes you can walk into a space and it's like, oh, these people, this feels cold. It feels harsh. It, it feels uninviting. Sometimes you walk into a a space with a group of people and everyone's smiley and it feels very fake and plastic and inauthentic. Or sometimes you walk into a space and it feels like these people are very genuine. These people are down to earth. These people are warm. The Christian community that's being showcased here is that it's supposed to give off this, this fragrance that people can intuit, that they can sense that when they come into a space, it is warm, it's inviting, it's winsome, it's soaked in grace and in love. That's the first image that a Christian community unified together. It's like, it's like oil. Here's the second one. It's like dew, like mountain dew. Look at verse 3. <laughs> it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Now, Hermon is, was the tallest mountain of that region. It was just a little bit to the north of where Jerusalem was. It was snow capped. It was, it was known for having abundance of, of of rain. And so as that water kind of went down the mountain towards Jerusalem, Jerusalem benefited from all of that water that was flowing down from Hermon, especially in the dry season, because they needed that water to sustain all of their crops. It's this picture of life-giving uh, blessing that's flowing down from Herman. It's that—that's that, that's the image, and in fact, that kind of taps into the power that Christian community has. It is life-giving. This is this is what's going on a little bit behind verse three when it says, "For there," talking about the community, "for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life." Forevermore. Loving community is this life giving blessing. Now, I have, I have been prone to anxiety and fear and worry at different points in my life. Uh, at some points in my life, uh, my anxiety has been crippling, it's been debilitating. At other points, it has just been kind of low grade humming in the background. I've gone to see doctors over this. I've gone to see counselors over this. I've done intensive therapy over this, trying to get to the bottom of uh, of why that is. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Part of it is just that's just how I showed up in the world, my own physiology. Some of it is my own hit, my own story, the ways that I've been wounded and responded to wounds. Some of it is my own uh, just natural, just kind of personality, temperament, disposition. And um, it, it has been a a. You know, debilitating thing in many ways over the years, but what, what has been so um, good for me personally, especially over these past few years, is that I have received in many ways real um, life-giving healing, for lack of a better word. Doesn't mean that it's not still there, doesn't mean I don't still struggle with it, but there's been real healing there. Because deep down, underneath all of this anxiety is this motivational drive that I really do believe I only matter when I'm impressive. I'm only lovable if I offer something to people that they find enjoyable, so either through entertainment, preaching, whatever. I only am lovable if I perform in a certain way. And I've been around a group of people that have been safe, that have been uh, gracious and kind, a group of my friends that have helped me to unearth and to begin healing that lie that I really do believe in the core of my being. People that have, be- have given me space just to be. People that have reminded me over and over that they love me just for me. They don't, need to- they don't need me to impress them. They don't need me to entertain them. They love me just for me. And part of that has been profoundly healing for me. I have experienced firsthand the life-giving blessing of being a part of a Christian community. In fact, in many ways, that's why we say every single week at Redeemer, we get together in smaller groups, in community groups, in book study groups. Why? Not just because it's fun, although it is, but because we want to remind one another that we are loved. There is something about that message we intuitively don't believe, and we need other people to help us believe it. And when we begin to actually believe it, and when people surround us and continue to remind us that that's true, that is life-giving. You see the two images? Intoxicatingly fragrant, life-giving blessing. Now you may be sitting there and you think, okay, look Matt, you're young. And I would say, I am, thank you. And then you would continue and you would say, look, I've been around the church long enough to know that what you're saying is a fantasy. I've been hurt, I've been jaded, I've, I've, I've been, uh, you know, you, you describe this, oh, here's this great loving community where people hurt each other and then they just extend grace and there's healing and there's love and life and it's just awesome. That's not my experience. What you're describing is, is a fantasy, it's impossible. And to that, my response would be, on the one hand, I agree with you. It is impossible. We, we don't have the power. We can't just generate a community like that out of willpower. Unless the Lord does something, then we're going to be a group of people that's just like every other group of people that just left to our own natural instincts, we're going to tear and devour and divide and fight. And just, we're just going to be the cliche. That's just what groups of people do naturally. So, yes, I agree with you. But on the other hand... I do think it's interesting that here is the psalm written showing us, showcasing for us the possibility that this does exist, that it is possible to have a community that is fragrant, that is life-giving. And so that's what I want to look at briefly with you with the rest of our time. How in the world is it possible? It's unnatural, it's wonderful, but it's also possible. How? Here's how. I don't know if you noticed, but in both of these images all of the blessings flow from somewhere. Where do they flow from? They flow from above. Everything is flowing down. Look at verse two. The oil that is poured down on his head, it runs down through his beard, it runs down on the collar of his robes. Verse three, it says that the dew falls, which is actually the same Hebrew word used in verse two, talking about falling down, is that, that word gets used three times. And these three little verses, down, 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 it's all flowing down. Which means what? That it is the Lord who is the one who sends down his blessings. Which means community and unity is not something that we create. It has to be given. It has to be given as a gift. It has to be given as a grace. And the good news of the gospel is that it has come down already. When we were alienated from God and when we were alienated from each other, the Lord was not content to just sit back and allow us to unravel in our own sense of alienation. But what does he do? Jesus, who is the last high priest, comes down. And when he comes down as the high priest, he offers up this sacrifice to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to each other. And the sacrifice that he offered was himself. What he did was he took everything that we used to divide ourselves against other people and he wrapped himself up in it and was executed with it so that it died with him. The power of sin dies in the death of Jesus. And three days later, Jesus bursts out of the grave, which shows you that life and power and reconciliation is possible because he purchased it for us. Here's how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, talking about Jesus. He says, for he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. The dividing wall of hostility, Paul is saying, whatever we have used to throw up walls to divide us amongst each other, our politics, our income level, our, our where we live, our, our personalities, whatever, all the walls that we throw up, Jesus has smashed down like a sledgehammer so that real community and loving unity is possible because he is our peace. You know, this is why every single week at Redeemer, we pass the peace. May the peace of Christ be with you and also with you. Stand up, go talk to somebody, and some of you're like, oh my goodness, I, this is not my least favorite part of the whole deal. I gotta go talk to these strangers. I don't know anybody. It feels awkward, and I get it. It can be awkward, but why do we do it? We don't do it, just do it because we want you to be friendly, We want you to do it because we are trying to lean into a bedrock reality that Jesus is our peace. And so you may feel in this moment antisocial. You may feel socially awkward. You may feel, I don't know these people, this is weird. You may feel hurt by someone in this room. You may be hurt by the person that's sitting next to you. And yet we are trying to lean on a reality that's more bedrock than our feelings a reality that Jesus is our peace. So Christian community is possible. It is a fragrant, life-giving blessing, but it's possible only in Jesus. And so the invitation for you this morning is to lean into that reality, to drill down deep into that reality that he is our peace, and to live off of that. Consider that. An invitation for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that you would, in your kindness and in your mercy, help us to lean into the reality. You have torn down these walls, and yet we have this instinct to want to rebuild what you've torn down. And I pray that you would help us to lean deeper into the truth and into the good news that he is our peace That race, politics, and income, and instincts, and whatever, all of that stuff gets demoted. It all gets torn down, and that we have the capacity now. We have the ability to connect, to unite, to love each other, and to do the hard labor of love because of your son's death and his resurrection. Help us, we pray. We cannot do this by ourselves. We need your power. We need your spirit. Would you be so generous as to give it? We pray all this in Jesus' name.